0: May God's peace be on each one that's gathered here this morning. I preach you in Jesus' name. Thank you for your prayers. Some of you don't know I was kind of between feeling good and not feeling good. I was at down at uh, Sharon, I guess, Wednesday night, and I... Had some funny thoughts go through in my mind. What if I don't make it through? And what if I fall over? And I did get home and put lots of covers on when I went to sleep. I just think I was fighting a fever. And um, even yesterday, I wasn't quite sure. I told Mike, maybe you better be thinking about something. And so I do. I count it a privilege. I feel better this morning because of the prayers of people. And yet we can pray and God might not answer. He might say, no, something different here than what our desires is. But the Sunday school lesson, we keep asking, we keep asking. And it's because there's a faith there. You you continue to ask because you know God can do certain things. I want to rejoice in His goodness this morning. Also with being sick or ill, all of you have been there. There's one hard thing to accept, but it's good. And that is when there's less that the flesh can do, the spirit has to make up for it. And I mean that in a way of, specifically for me, in preaching, in preaching, I don't feel like it, and, and you're weary and you're tired, and yet God's Spirit says, this is what you got to do. Where sometimes you think, I'm wound up, I know what I'm going to do, and you, you go for it. And you forget that, what does God want you to do? And so when you're sick at times, so all of you have been there, it somehow has a way of just drawing us to what God wants us to do, how he wants us to live, realizing his goodness, all the things that are associated with it. And there is, to compare it, there's less of self sometimes when you get sick. Maybe you relate to it different, but that's uh, some thoughts that I had with with not feeling well. I wasn't really laid up, but it slowed me down a couple days of just not doing a whole lot and I do count a privilege to be here this morning. Now, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 16. We continue to be uh, this far in the book, and we are soon going to start being uh, on the way out instead of the way in. And we will try to look at chapter 16 and 17 this morning. And probably next time, which actually is next Sunday, will be uh, chapters 18 and 19, looking at them. So Let's read chapter uh, 16. If you care to follow along, read the entire chapter. Revelation chapter 16. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and of prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments." And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues for pain. And blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, for they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together unto, into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon and the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying it is done and there were voices and thunders and lightnings and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God, to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. hail. For the plague thereof was exceeding great. Now normally I go down through and kind of just give a little comment about the verses. But it's pretty easy that there is seven vials. So we're just going to briefly go over all those. But if you go back just real quick to uh, 15. And I think this is critical if you want to understand a little bit what's taking place. Chapter 15, verse 2 reads, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. The ones that are... In Christ Jesus, will not be experiencing these vials that are poured out. It says specifically then in verse uh, 2, when the first vial is poured out, it says, "...fell upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men, which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image." And so if you're going to wonder if you will have to experience these, if time continues on and we see the obvious taking place of here is the ones worshiping Satan and here is the ones worshiping God. And it could even be at this time where, like we talked about in the other chapter, of God harvested the earth and perhaps the trumpet has sounded and all the Christian people have left the earth. I'm not quite sure if I can say which it is, but it's possible that the earth is now only has men that refuse to worship God, and they are worshiping the beast. And that's the only ones that are on the earth. It'd be possible. Because these vials are the wrath of God, an anger, a burning, and a even a blistering anger of God pouring this out on the men that are on the earth. So let's look at them. And it makes sense what he gives them. The first one was uh, noisome and grievous sore. And that noisome word is simply just ugly, awful, uh boils the festering wounds that don't smell good just nasty like we would say awful God gives those to the ones on the earth pain I don't know if that relates to a whole lot that uh, does and, and just a characteristic of God how he leads into this a little bit with the ten plagues in Egypt it's not identical, but some of these are similar. And it's as if God says, you better pay attention because it's going to get, I did this delivering out of Egypt, and he goes, you saw what's happening there. This is just going to be you know, worse yet um, in regards to my wrath of these people that refuse to worship and acknowledge who I am and to repent as it says later on. So the first one was sores, painful pain, physical pain. The second one, the sea became as blood of a dead man. One of the hard things for me to comprehend is the awfulness of these things. And we're going to see the flip side of it as you think about the realities of heaven. And we can identify with that. But the other thing, if you identify with the realities of heaven as we take them and believe them, can you also believe that these things are truly going to happen to the people that don't acknowledge God? That the ones left here on this earth, this physical earth, will have to experience the sea turning to blood? We have dead chickens in our chicken house. You put them in a five-gallon bucket. And the worst thing that the boys would even begin to do is when some blood happens to be in there for a day or two and you stick your nose in that bucket, you about will throw up if you get it right. All of you have been around. You, you, you got shot a deer and it's like, oh, it just hits you. Can you imagine the sea being blood? And God brings about in the second one says, okay, let's make the sea blood. But then he says, uh, that's not enough. We're gonna for the third one. The third angel pours it out and says, "The rivers and the fountains of water, the springs and the rivers, we are going to remove fresh water from these people." And the whole analogy is is that these prophets, the the evilness, uh, the 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 realm of Satan destroying saints and prophets from years ago and sh- their blood being shed abroad that the people wanted them dead so bad they need they, they, it's like it gives they wanted to drink their blood. that God now says, if you wanted to drink their blood, I have the authority and power with my ability. I am going to give you blood and they have nothing to drink. I think I have it later on, but I might as well bring it out. How are you going to train your child when they don't get it the first time? You tell them, no, you're not supposed to do that. So you spank them or you discipline them. They do it again and they don't get it. Do you give the same punishment? And they disobey. They continue to do it. Do you just administer the same thing again? Hope? No, if you want to have them corrected, you have to get harder and harder and harder on them. And it will either go one way or the other. They will become rebellious to what you're trying to teach them, or they will finally listen and get it. And so the third one is that the rivers and springs, I think all of water became blood. Hard to identify as the Susquehanna River out here being blood it's the word of god i don't you can't limit god in what he can do but it's hard i, I can't it's a, it's beyond a, a human mindset and to think of this end times is 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 this what god is going how he's going to deal with people you and i do not want to be there you want to give your heart and life to Christ now, because today is the day to accept His salvation. Number four is man was scorched with great heat from the sun. I'm not sure the comparison here of why God said, "If you want it warm, I'll make it warm for you. I'll make it more than warm." I don't know if this is a prelude to hell. I don't fully understand hell. You Think of hell fire. Fire is not cold. But there was, it says about authority given. An angel was allowed to, uh, in verse 8, and the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, but they didn't, want to give in. They said well it uses the word blaspheme. They just blasphemed God because they knew that's where it was coming from. And it says and they repented not to give him glory. That's the fourth vial that was poured out. The fifth one is the kingdom of of the beast or the antichrist, his whole kingdom was filled up with darkness. And it's God, just I think, gives it to him so plain. He says, If you want to have a kingdom of darkness, if you don't want to accept my light, then fine, you are going to get darkness. And he gives them darkness so bad. That the commentaries, we talked about that, they don't know what it means when it says they gnawed their tongues for pain. Some ideas are the fact that their, their thoughts, maybe not necessarily chewing on their tongue, uh, could be that, I, I don't know. But there was one that said about their, their thoughts and their ideas, as you know, you, we say we chew on something, you're thinking about something, I could see that even fitting in where they just their their minds were just in such great turmoil. They can't they can't hack this. They can't get away from it. They can't get out of it. They are they were just they're just stuck in this. And and it's awful. And a verse the following one says and they blasphemed the god of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. So the sixth one is the river Euphrates was dried up. I didn't, uh, wasn't able to understand this very well either. A couple different things could come. I don't necessarily have anything, but it says it made the way, uh, how does it read here? And the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And it follows through with three unclean spirits. I think one you know, that come out of the mouth of the dragon, one out of the mouth of the, um, the beast, and one out of the mouth of the false prophet. These, these three spirits, these unclean spirits, they went out into the world. And they, uh, it says, For they are spirits of devils working miracles. And it's to go into the kings of the earth to persuade them of their truth. They have a sign from, like we would have it today, like a sign from God. This is is right. This is correct. And they deceived the people and they gathered them together to what they say is um, to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And then the seventh one, I have a little bit in between here, I guess, yet. When we read verse 15, kind of is stuck in the middle here, but it is the third uh, beatitude. We have a blessed given to those, it says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now it's okay to laugh at that verse a little bit because you think, why? Why does God say, uh, "Make sure you uh, are watching and and you know keep your clothes on"? I I don't know either. It, it um, says that. That's what it says. Keep your garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Well, one interesting. Uh and I, I, it's hard to know if things are tra- a tradition or, a, um, you know, just a story down through the ages, but it was stated a couple different places reading, kind of kept coming up, that as uh, the, uh, the work in the temple, you had somebody on night duty, I don't know if it's all night, but they had somebody watching all night long. And it seems a little bit like this maybe wasn't in, uh, it, it just doesn't seem like Bible times, but yet I don't, maybe it was. But when they were watching in the temple at night, so the priest would keep watch, but there was uh, an officer of some sort. Like I say, maybe it'd be good to check into this more, but an officer of the temple would go around and make sure that these ones that are on watch aren't falling asleep. And he would go around with a lighted torch. And if the watch would not stand up and say to him, O oh, officer of the temple mount, peace be to thee. If the if the watch, if person didn't say that, uh, he would uh, take his staff and I don't know if he'd just wake him up or he'd actually beat him a little bit too. Um, the idea that he uh, wasn't wasn't watching. But it adds to that that he had the right to uh, burn his clothes. Now, it almost seems far-fetched. I don't know. But why... Scripture usually has a, a reason for why it says that. And... The the problem was is that if you were watching on the temple that night and you fell asleep and he took your clothes, guess what? You had to walk home and everybody got to see you and they found out what happened. It was made plain sight and it sort of, I think, fits today. Keep watch. If you're not paying attention, someday people will know what was really going on in your heart and in your life. And they will see your shame because of what took place. And it says, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now, sometimes naked doesn't necessarily mean without any clothes. It sometimes means just the outer robes. And But the point is is that they knew that you had something happen to you. I, you know, you can go study that and see once what you might learn from that too. But our conscience in today's setting, our conscience brings guilt when we slacken our Christian responsibilities. And we know when we're not doing what we should. And it says, blessed, happy, joyful is the one that watcheth and is able to keep his garments. Okay, verse 16. And I didn't get through the rest of the chapters, but here is the well-known word Armageddon. I don't know if this will actually happen or not. They talk about the battle of Armageddon. says he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. If you know words a little bit, you could find out quick that it is two words put together. Uh, The Hebrew, um, you get uh, har, like H-A-R, I think is more mount, and then the Megiddo is actually the place, so the name could mean like Mount Megiddo, but it gets switched around when you get into the Greeks. So the Hebrews kind of one, the Greeks the other. But forget all that. Just think of this: it was the place, in general, whether it's the valley or the mount. It was the place where two great victories took happen. One where Barak defeated the Canaanites through Deborah the judge just so you in case you didn't forget that's where that Sisera went and ran in the tent and that JL lady took the big tent peg and drove it right through her temple right into the ground just pounded him right fast to the dirt that victory happened in this uh, area this Mount Megiddo and it's also where Gideon and the Midianites were defeated Gideon with his 300 defeated all them That is the same place. There's also two great disasters that happened. The one is where the death of Saul, if you want to call that a disaster, David certainly did, even though Saul was maybe not following the Lord's will and way. But he died in this area on his last battle, him and his sons. And it was also the death of Josiah, one of the good kings There, either of Israel or Judah. So when you put that together, it makes a little more sense that the battle of Armageddon is going to be both a place of victory and a place of destruction at the same time. Because that's the place where the final conflict's going to come, whether it's in a physical way or spiritual, where it's going to be put to the end. Do you see that this is the uh, we're past the sixth one, but we haven't got to the seventh vial yet. And if I continue on, to go, just go to uh, the seventh one, it says, he poured out his vial into the air, and there came a voice out of the temple saying, it is done. Now the church building isn't done until it's done. Now, I know building's a little bit, but until the building committee gets to a point and says, it's done. What does that mean? Well, in today's settings, it means there's only a couple little things yet to do, but it's basically done. Uh-uh. No. When God says it is done, there is nothing else left to do. When it says done, maybe not such a good analogy, but Jesus uh, Christ here in his final vial poured out says it is done. I this how I think fits with the seventh trumpet blowing. It could include the rapture in that and the I'm not sure about the rapture necessarily being right here. Lots of ways you could go with that. But uh it is it is the end. Time time is is over. And yet the things on this earth, uh, continuing there in um, the seventh vial, has there was great voices and thunders and lightnings. But then it says there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. On the Richter scale, it just went you know off the top. There's eights and nines, but it might have been up into who knows what. Enough that the uh, uh, great city that it calls it here and the great city was divided into three parts just the way God wanted to do it. and it says in great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath I'm going to attempt to look at Babylon next time I didn't think there was much to Babylon and it looks like there'll be plenty for next Sunday about Babylon but with this vial was the earthquake. Verse 20 says, In every mountain or every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And then in verse 21, it talks about hail so great that the weight of the hail or the hailstone could have been up to a hundred pounds. A talent is somewhere around 80, some would say a hundred. Where are you going to hide from hailstones coming down that weigh 100 pounds? I think they'd probably go right through the roof right down into here. You would have to, maybe that's why it says they ran to the caves and the holes in the ground because they're escaping God's wrath. But unimaginable pouring out of God's wrath on the people that were on the earth. It's hard for me to understand. Uh, But that's chapter 16. I don't have a whole lot on that. Let's read chapter anything more. Let's read chapter 17. I'm not sure if I have a huge amount on 17 either. Some of these things are just take them at face value for us to think about. (coughs) Let's read chapter 17. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations, in filthiness of her fornication and upon her forehead was a name written mystery babylon the great the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth and i saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of jesus and when i saw her i wondered with great admiration and the angel said unto me wherefore didst thou marvel I will tell thee the mystery of the woman, and of the beast that carried her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. And the beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not found, were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not, and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings, five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seventh, and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet but received power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest were the where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and to give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth? this chapter is more uh, not so much literal as more figurative in the I mean in a physical way we know of it but when you when we talk about spiritual adultery as we know marriage and as a Christian we become... Um, You know, one with God. And we turn around and we forsake that. And we go after something else. It gives description uh, of what is going to be in the world of those that forsake and go the other way. They're they're unfaithful. So you have uh, a woman sitting on a scarlet colored beast. You have her clothed in purple and scarlet, decked with gold, precious stones and pearls. And in verse 5 it says, Mystery, comma. this is a name written on, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. The um, mystery could be uh, it gives idea. It's not just so much uh, a, a literal mystery, but like this is a comparison. That's why I say it's more a figurative uh, way and how this is. And then, for um, it to be referring to Babylon, uh, and I think that's what it is. The Babylon, the great, the great city, and it's the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. I see verse six here uh, restating. Again, about this city, this woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs. And I don't know if we've seen that in the past, if we're going to see that more yet. I assume probably more yet in the future of people being killed and martyred for the cause of Christ. And then uh, verses 7 to 18 basically gives us some things that we can take as explained from Scripture. So, just a couple of them I'll point out. Um, The angel says these are what these things are. Uh, The beast is one that was and is not, but will come out of the bottomless pit to be destroyed. This is a little uh, hard because it um, it's like it was, but now it's not, but then it's going to come again. A uh, couple ways that could go, but we know that evil is around us, and yet evil's there, but maybe it's not there, and it's going to be uh, maybe worse later on, um, just how that wording fits a little bit with what could be taking place. The seven heads are seven mountains or seven kings. Uh, I think that's probably correct. I don't know exactly what kings. Some commentators would spell it right out which way they are. But five are fallen. One is and one is yet to come. And I don't have that all you know detailed out exactly you know, which one is what. But it talks about the beast will be the eighth one. And... That is it's kind of you you get the progression of what's taking place, how there's going to be seven kings, but when the seventh one comes around, there's actually going to be an eighth one. As it says there in verse eleven, uh and the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth. So you I think you have seven physical kings, but the eighth is the antichrist that comes in and actually takes over and rules. Uh, in the world, and it says, and goeth to his destruction. He comes into power, it's almost like he reveals himself, and God just takes care of him and and, uh, judges him, like we'll see later on in the next number of chapters. But the ten horns are ten kings that will share for an hour authority with the beast. This looks a little bit confusing until you see and understand, and it might not matter to us a bit, but for some of you, it would be interesting to note that you probably heard that the two greatest powers in the world are the political power and the, the uh, religious power. And when you put those two together, you can rule the world. That's what I grew up with in school. You take the government and you take a religion and you put them together, nobody can argue with you. And I think that happens up until verse about 12 and 13 here. That there is the, uh, the false prophet. It talks about, uh, you know, the, the false prophet and the, the beast and different parts of it. And I think that's what it is until you get to verse 13 and down through uh, like 17 and 18. It says, these have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. Now, just what comes to me, how this works is, is that you take the fact that the the uh, the Antichrist doesn't want to have anything to do with religion per se, and he actually takes the uh, these ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings. These are the ones that are going to take the mind, I think, away from the religious power and put it all on the beast. If you want to say the political or the earthly reign. And the way they're going to do that is in verse 16. And it says in verse 16, And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore. Now how do you figure that they're going to go against each other? Because it says there, if I finish reading, These shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and to give their kingdom unto the beast. It's as if all the final authority is being shifted to the beast. And the only interesting God can just do things is we understand the... Um, difficulties in the Catholic Church. Now, how can, if you think about a political and a religious, one destroyed the other. The law says, you dare not do this and this and this in a, a moral sense. The abuse or whatever may have taken place in there. And, it's, and and maybe even greater yet to come, but the political side literally destroyed it. It might not have uh, did it quite the extent here. Shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. I don't know if they quite did that to it. But how can that be that the one power destroys the other one? It's, it's beyond us, but it, it's in verse 17, "For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill His will. And God's will is is that religion will totally be removed from here on earth. The kingdom of the Antichrist doesn't want to have anything to do with any religion whatsoever. doesn't want a, a speck of Christianity, a speck of religion, a speck of any worship other than the beast. And his kingdom. And if you want to see scripture fulfilled or a example take place, I think that is one of how a political power can destroy a religious power. Now you can take that for what it's worth, but I think that is interesting to observe that. Now, 18 says, And the woman which thou sawest is the great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Uh, I did mention next time Babylon. I hope to study into that. But some things to learn here yet. I don't have very many. It's pretty hard to, if you want to say, pull any practical pointers out of this for your daily living tomorrow. I'm not really sure. But I do know that uh, the wrath of God, and I talked about that, and you can look at why people would say, why would a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't. He gives time. He gives grace. He tries to show them what His will, what He wants for them. And if they refuse, He will judge them. It's kind of your own fault. Because our judicial system does the same thing, if you want to say, with making the penalties harder and harder and harder. How many of you ever got busted by OSHA? Shouldn't they ask, maybe that's not good. I've heard that if you get first-time offense, isn't too bad. The second-time offense gets pretty major. The third or fourth offense, they won't really stop at anything. They will just, they will push their way. It's similar to the example I said about us parents, you know, in teaching our children. If, if this is what the law, what we decide to teach and train, it is what we got to do. We, we can't just um, assume that a, a, uh, a weak discipline or a, a just a small uh, consequence is going to get it. No, it becomes stiffer and harder um, until either it goes one way or the other. And then I talked about the political system turning towards each other. I, um, I think that's going to take place as well. Now, whether we're around or not, and there was a an, an odd thought went through that we, if we're not here, and we are, as it says in back in 15, that we are standing before God with a harp. What do we care about the people on the earth? Why does it matter to us that we have to know that God turned the rivers and waters to blood when we're in the presence of God? Like, what does it matter? Maybe it doesn't matter to us that are His children, but if you're not, I think it's well then that it is in Scripture. And the other, lastly, the recurring theme that comes through is repentance it says, there's, I think in two times here, at least in the vials, um, when the sun was so hot, they repented not to give Him glory. And, and when the uh, darkness was there, it says, and repented not of their deeds. Repentance means to change one's mind. And for us today, I am at times put up against that, and challenged in a way that I say, am I actually repenting of things that I know I should change in my life? These are past the initial committing your life and surrendering your life to Christ. And it's the growing and the learning where you just don't always feel like doing it. And repentance means to change one's mind and to change one's thinking. And I think at times we need to repent, not as we think of it as becoming a Christian but as a change of mind and these things that happen for me you grow up if you um I couldn't really come up with much examples but just a couple of them uh you know do you have to tell your children that you love them every night before you go to bed do and there's many things of You can take what your parents have established and given to you and say, Well, if they did it as good Christian people, then I can just do the same thing. I don't have to do it. If my parents just skipped church a couple times because they just wanted to, or they just that's the way they did it, is that right? If God is saying, you know, you could do it different here. It's not like they did it wrong, but what am I asking you to do? And you have to decide if you're going to change your thinking on it or not. And if one thing that's hard to do is, it's to change your thinking on some things. That is hard at times. And not just, well, your thinking is what's how you're going to act. But you change your thinking, and that's going to change your actions then. And so I don't know what you would be faced with when just the day in, day out, as parents, um, as co-workers where you are, those those things of, I don't really want to do this. And the fact is is that God could be calling you to repent and change your thinking about it. Because of how these men, (laughs) the ones that they experience God's vials poured out, and it says they still would not repent. It just marvels me that how much does it take sometimes to change our thinking, to change our mind. May God help us to just be open to those changes. They're hard, they're difficult, but that they bring life and they bring uh, a refreshed way of, of walking with God that He wants and I, for myself, like I say, I wrestle with that at times of justifying things. And instead of facing up and saying, this is what God wants me to do. Just change your mind and do it. But there's a, uh, uh, now I have my last thing here. Verse 14. Look at what happens in the middle of all this. In uh, chapter 17, is it? Yeah. These shall make war with the lamb and the lamb shall overcome them. Listen, this is who we serve. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. You believe that? And they are that and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful, and that needs to be us today. And so in the middle of all this calamity and destruction, uh, wrath of God, it says, these And these shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. And you have, we have opportunity, we have a means to overcome all that is in and around us today. Because He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's stand for prayer.